My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. A spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. I urge you all today, especially today during these times of chaos and war, to love yourself without reservations and to love each other without restraint, unless you're into leather. Margaret Cho. How amazing is Margaret Cho? I love her so much. If you haven't yet caught my chat with her from January 2015, definitely check it out. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to dive into some BDSM myths, what it's like to be a gorgeous six foot five tall dominatrix, ways to spice up vanilla sex, and more. First, I'm so pleased to welcome Goddess Severa to the show. You are not only a giantess, but very large in spirit and have such a huge heart. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Before we get into your 20 plus years of, of work in this industry, I would love to hear a bit about your early years. What did you learn about sex and your body growing up? Um, well, you know, I have a good friend visiting me here and she knew me from my early days. And we were joking last night that if anybody were to lay out, um, okay, the, you're a teenager now, but in 20 years, one of you will have done, lived abroad and had worked in dungeons. It would not have been me. Really? It would have been her, yes, because um, my parents were very straight-laced. I was raised with um, Victorian um, rules of propriety and behavior and um, we didn't talk about things like sex. So did you learn anything? Did you have like sex ed class? Um, yeah, we, so we learned a little bit in school, but I, I feel like I was always this way. Like I was hardwired towards BDSM. Mm, interesting. And when did you first start to discover that part of yourself? Well, when I was little, I would fantasize about spankings. And um, there was this uh, old mother goose do you know the poems? This yeah. old lady who lived in a shoe, she had so many children, she didn't know what to do, so she gave them some broth without any bread and spanked them all soundly <gasps> and sent them to bed. And that turned you on? So much. I would like, I was mesmerized looking at this cartoon of these spankings, and that was, I was like entranced by that. Wow. So when did you, last week we were talking about coming out in all kinds of different ways, and it has so much to do with connecting with who you authentically are, but sometimes who the world is a little like, whoa. When did you start to feel like you could emerge? Not for a long time. So I kept all of that quietly, quietly under wraps. I went to college. I played ball overseas. And then um, I didn't even bring it up in my relationships. I, did, I tried once, and then this guy said that I was weird or, or freaky. And so I didn't bring it up again because I felt really rejected by that. And But when I moved to New York City, um, I moved there on a whim. I was on a talk show uh, called Maury Povich Show, Opposite Attractions, mm. where I had to say that I liked short men. But I had a friend that I wanted to visit. And so I thought, well, I'll go, I'll go visit her. 
And um, I'm American, so I thought, well, I could just stay here. But I had no money, and uh, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I literally had New York is bucks. expensive. Yeah. And so I was looking through the Yellow Pages. They had Yellow Pages at that time. Yeah. And um, I saw this ad for Domination. And so I called them up. And it was Ava Terrell, the ground dam of BDSM in New York City. And I explained that I was new in New York. And were they looking for anyone? And she was like, no, we, we, we have all the girls we need. And I said, did I mention that I'm six foot five? And she, oh, you must come down immediately. And I was very lucky because she took me under her wing and uh, taught me how to dom, how to do it the right way. And she would she introduced me to poets and porn stars and and uh, Camille Paglia and just like very accomplished people and so I, I feel like I had a good pedigree for doming. That's so interesting. And you brought up that height became this huge benefit mm. in within this industry. Was that something that you had embraced throughout your life, or how did being tall affect your body image growing mm. up? Well, when you're different, people especially people who are noticeably different, they they definitely are picked on. And so, I, I mean, I fought back, but I was still ostracized. And so I didn't really come into my own until, um, until I started doing sports. And I played basketball, and I did very well with that. And so I, I feel like in basketball, it was... Um, it was not my first love, but it was a way for me to feel confident, and people wanted me on the team, and so that was a big help. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So once you started pursuing the work, do you remember what your first professional experience was like? I do. It was with this tall, impassive German man. He, he looked like Dolph Lundgren with a short haircut, and he was completely impassive. Like he, I didn't get any feedback from him at all. And so I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I'd like kind of run and look at my session notes and go, ah. Okay, and I'd run back and kind of try something out. But it's hard when you play with someone who doesn't give you um, any feedback at all, like nothing, no ex- no expression on his face. So I was kind of thrown into the deep end, and I just had to learn by doing it. So there was no training? Not really. Just like, here you go. Wow. And there are so many myths about BDSM. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is that, BDSM is dangerous, that it's this really dark, you know, place where people end up on criminal minds, you Uh know, what do you say to that? Well, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there, but I would say that whoever you play with, your submissiveness is a gift. And you have to, when you go on a date, you, you know, figure out, is this, do I like this person? Uh, what, do I feel safe going to this person? So just like I might vet uh, someone that I play with, it behooves you to figure out, okay, who is this person? If I'm going to go into her dungeon, what are the, her reviews? How long has she been doing this? But you shouldn't um, allow yourself to play with someone who doesn't know what they're doing. But I don't think it's inherently dangerous. Right. We, ha- we have a credo of safe, sane, consensual. Yeah. So. Yeah, I found that when I talk to people who are really involved in that industry, that they prize consent more than anyone. It's so interesting because, as you said, every situation potentially could be dangerous. You know, it's just about, you know, having awareness and 
really doing your research, whether you're meeting somebody to have a date or go on a trip with or, you know, engage in BDSM play. Right. Do you know the um, Canadian broadcaster Gian Gameshi? He got in, he had this radio show and he got in a whole bunch of trouble for um, sexual abuse. And he was like, well, it was BDSM. And these girls would say, but he punched me in the head like the moment I walked through the door. And I tweeted about this to him that in my 20 years I've never punched someone in the head that I didn't know maybe like I've done some boxing sessions but I've never behaved like that so I think yeah. some people misuse um, it just use it as an excuse for abusive behavior mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. There's another myth uh, that it's very obscure. And I read this study that directs conducted in the UK and they said one third of people there have engaged in some form of bondage or blindfolding. Do you think it's a lot more common than people realize? I do. I think um, if you're in a relationship for a while, the vanilla sex, it's okay. But after a while, you may have to escape in your head. I don't know about you. I do. I have to create scenarios to make them more wrong or bad or something. Add adventure. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that people realize that to spice things up, you have to use your imagination. And that and BDSM is such a broad umbrella of what it could be. Um, it could be role play. And that's not scary, bad. I mean, you can you can have like scary, bad roles, but it's it doesn't have to be um, involving anything with pain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's another myth that you debunk hugely, which is that men are always the dominant one or even usually. And I've read that it's pretty even. Do you find that's the case that it's do people expect women to be more the submissive one? And in fact, it's just a big mix. Honey, I wouldn't be here if it were it not for all the submissive men in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the submissive partner, regardless of gender, they have more control, right, than I think a lot of people realize. Um, I read that, you know, some people think that the submissive person is has no control whatsoever. But they also have a, a very strong role in the, you know, in the play. So Tell us about the submissive role. Sure. I mean, I have uh, a meeting form that I make people fill out to explain themselves a little bit to me, their hard limits, their interests, what they're not into. And so it is It is a, it's a give and take. I'm not going to – I want to have a good time. I want them to have a great time. And I want this to be a collaboration. So they don't get to dictate what I do. We can do a role play. I'm not going to read their script but they can give me a loose outline. And if I agree with it, then I'll do it. And if I don't, I'll say, okay, I'm fine with everything except this. And then they may be like, oh, okay, that's fine. What about this? And then I, I'm fine if someone wants me to wear certain outfits or, you know, if I had to chew big red gum once and that was, that was fine. So I, I think you have to be like uh, good natured, open spirit, be a good sport. Yeah, really yeah. open-minded. Mm -hmm. And have you encountered a whole range of fetishes or are there kind of common themes? Um, yeah, of course, over the years, I've seen it all. So I've seen it so much that there's nothing really that's that I see as strange okay. anymore. Um, but I would say that people just love the abuse of power scenarios. 
where a woman turns the tables on a man, and I really enjoy doing that. Mm. And do you do role play out in public as well? Is that sometimes part of it, or is it always in like the bedroom or? Oh, do you mean if I do public sessions? Yeah, like would you be at a restaurant and do you role play, you know? out in public around other people, whether sexually or otherwise. Is that part of it? Um, sometimes. I have a rule about I don't like to impose my kink on other people. I believe there's a time and a place, and I don't want some family to see me doing something that's kink-related necessarily. It's, it's not. It's de classe, right? Yeah. Um, but have I had a man kiss my feet in New York City in broad daylight? Yeah. And have I propped down, like smashed down an ice cream cone on someone's head in, in Boston in front of a bunch of people? Yeah. But, um, you know, you have to see who your audience is first. Sure. Sure. That's so interesting. Do you have certain non-negotiables or things that just kind of you just I know, for example, for me, I have a thing with feet. So if some like I'm a little squeamish about feet. Do you have things that would somebody requested and you're like, sorry, I don't do that? Um, I don't do anything that's really gross. I don't, I'm not into extreme humiliation, um, nothing illegal, no drugs before or during, no alcohol. I want them to come in totally straight. Um, I, I think just the common markers of human decency mm -hmm. are fine. Yeah. But yeah. Absolutely. I, I can do mommy baby play stuff like that. I don't I don't mind that. You must be an excellent actress. Do you consider that part of it? Oh, it's very fun. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your favorite part of the job? Mm, I think the just the exchange of energy. It doesn't matter particularly what we're doing, but when I can meet someone, be a stranger and then get them to relax enough that we are on mm. and he is he is in this submissive state of mind i can just see the the flicker in the eyes where they're present and nothing else matters and then we're going back and forth and we're having this interchange where sometimes i actually feel high afterwards because it was just like so fun and the person is totally pumped up too so it's mm. um it's a really powerful thing for both people wow it sounds like it and what is the hardest part of your job well, I want to do a good job with whom, whomever I meet. And so, like I said before, with my very first session, if there's someone who is hard to read, then that, that makes it harder for me. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I don't have too many complaints. I've been very lucky throughout the years. I, I think I've met the nicest people on the scene, the most fun, like, I've, I've developed some friends. I've known some playmates for over 20 years. Wow. Yeah. That's really amazing. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Well, we have a question from a listener, and mm -hmm. I think you're going to have some wonderful tips for her as well. For Dr. Megan Fleming, our resident sex and relationship expert at greatlifegreatsex.com, this question came from Roz. Roz wrote, I'm not going to lie. I love what most people consider vanilla sex. I'm not interested in kinkier BDSM type stuff, including a few things I've tried. My question is, what are some fun ways to make vanilla sex spicier? I don't really feel deprived, but I do think it's an underexplored topic. I love what you're doing. Do you and the doc have any thoughts? Thank you, Rose. I love that you're listening. And this is a beautiful question. Here's what Dr. Megan had to say. Roz, thanks so much. I just love your question. 
And I think, you know, it's so interesting, this concept of a spicier vanilla, as if there's anything wrong with just plain vanilla. And by that, I mean, I'm not really sure when vanilla got such a bad rap. You know, really, vanilla just sort of refers to more sort of conventional. And by that, I mean, actually, it just excludes, in a sense, BDSM, kink, or fetishism. And honestly, I would dare say post over a 100 million copies of Fifty Shades of Grey being sold worldwide, I would think some aspects of what might have traditionally been conceived of as BDSM, including like blindfolds, would no longer be considered that. In fact, that has grown to be mainstream. And, you know, there is something sort of sexy about a blindfold because, you know, when you cut off one of the senses, you heighten the others. And I think a lot in the sort of kink and BDSM community wouldn't even think what is depicted in Fifty Shades represents, in a sense, um, their own sexual preferences and practices. So I think what's really important here is first that you know what you like. I mean, if there's one thing I can say to any individual and or couple, it's you're your own expert. And it's great that you've already tried on a few things um, that in your mind felt sort of BDSM to learn that, you know, it really isn't your cup of tea. And I guess the one thing I would say for any couple or any individual trying anything new you know, my expression is try, try again, because the first time we try on something new, we're observing it and we're sort of spectating. Hmm, what do I think of it? You know, what's my partner thinking? What's going on? And we're really in our heads and we're not in our bodies in the experience. So, um, again, it's the role of when you explore, try, try again. And I think coming back to, you know, why does Vidal get such a bad rap? I think it's because the reality is for most couples, sex falls into what we, uh, sex therapists sort of say is a sexual script or rut. Uh, it's very predictable and it can be for some boring or starts to feel like mechanical and sex not worth having. So that's the quality when you're talking about spicier. It's just to recognize you know, that it's not that rut. It's not that predictable because, you know, vanilla, like vanilla ice cream, it might always be a favorite or chocolate. But even within that, do you try on, say, the Rocky Road or the mango? And, you know, that's where the spicier aspect comes into, which is that mindset and openness to uh, enjoying yourself, getting lost in the experience and being that sense of being open to, um, you know, try on new positions, try on having sex, maybe not in the bed, in on the couch, on the floor, in another room, in different positions. You know, vanilla certainly includes, you know, the ability to, uh, you know, change place and position and sex talk or dirty talk or power dynamics. There's so much that ultimately can make it spicier. And in terms of resources for that, you know, I'd have you uh, check out Dr. Stephanie Bueller's new book, uh, Heart pounding guide to passionate sex. And again, there's many, many books on this topic. So really just, you know, look at Amazon and sort of cruise around at the titles and look inside those books and, you know, see which one really speaks to you. And another amazing resource is the Sinclair Institute, um, because they have, it's under their sort of instructional media, a number of books and videos, um, and including sex games, you know, even everything from like sexy dice to sexy poker. You know, I think there's so many ways to quote unquote spice up your sex life, but I think looking at books and videos gives you a good place to start in terms terms of uh, which ones really sort of speak to you, what are the things that sort of feels like the next step of something you'd like to try on that just really feels like it's in your wheelhouse, but that you're willing to expand your menu a little bit. Um, you know, and always just come back to guiding that you know for yourself 
what feels good. And, you know, just because you have certain favorites that may be considered vanilla doesn't in any way, way mean that they're any less passionate, uh, connected or, um, you know, getting lost in yourself and the experience and being in the moment. You know, I think that that's what makes sex great. So enjoy, have fun. And as always, let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Some really good tips there and kind of tied into what you were saying about when you've been in a relationship for a while, you know, maybe trying on new things. What would you suggest to Roz? Um, well, to Roz, I would say be non-judgmental with yourself. Um, and like the good doctor was saying, um, if you know what feels good, who's the audience? Who cares if your life isn't kinky? Are you are you having orgasms? Are you feeling closer to your partner? Are you having a good time? You don't have to be kinky. If do it if you want to. Don't do it if you don't want to. Um, but the thing is, uh, it's always fun to experiment. Yeah. And um, I think, like I mentioned before, I think role play is great. I think that costumes are great. They just add a little pizzazz without um, seeming threatening. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you said, you don't have to do this. Mm. You know, sometimes we can get the idea from whether it's, you know, like Dr. Megan was saying, Shades of Grey comes out and it brings up conversations. That was very unrealistic. That whole book was ridiculous. Did you read it? I did. And what's your, besides... Well, I mean, come on, who shatters into 50 million pieces of orgasms just through one thrust? It's it's nonsense. Yeah. She didn't write like she had a lot of experience in the scene. Yeah, yeah. What else did they get wrong, would you say? Um, just about the main character had all this abuse in his background, and that's why he was this twisted way, and um, that's not... That's That's not not the norm either. I wasn't abused. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. I had a great childhood, normal. Nobody burned me with cigarettes. And I can form loving relationships. And BDSM is very loving. That character didn't even want to be touched. I love being touched. So, I mean, every every story is unique. There's many different paths as there are souls. But in my experience, um, I've met lovely, nice people, not um, tortured people, because in order to do well, you have to be well-rounded. You have to be able to make someone feel comfortable. You have to be learned. And it's not, we're not just hookers with whips. Right. Very well said. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What other myths about sex workers in general do you find to be really prevalent? Mm. I don't even bring up what I do to most people because I don't want to have their um, misconceptions put upon me. So just um, that I they, maybe that they think that I sleep with my clients, which I don't, or um, that it's all whips and chains, that it's all violence, or that I must be angry. I'm, I'm the happy dom. I, I really love my work. I'm not violent, except when I have like beat down sessions or so, when I have a masochist. Yeah, that's a whole different story. But in general, most of my playmates, um, they're not into hard stuff. Mm. So, Could you take us through an example of what a play experience would be like with you? Say there's somebody, a brand new client, mm-hmm. from the time you first meet, what happens? So he would fill out my meeting form, and we would go back and forth on that. And um, let's say it was a wrestling session. He wanted to feel my power. So it depends if it was a role play, I'd say, okay, I'm going to, 
I'm going to go change now. I'm going to come back. And when I do, we're going to play. All right. And you be this character and I'll be this character. All right. And if you feel uncomfortable, you tap on my leg as a nonverbal way to communicate. And I want you to feel great. And so then we just start. And then we will have talked some things out beforehand. And then we just play. Mm. So it's... Um, it's just it's just playing like when we were kids when we played that's all it is it's playing um, should not just be for kids right mm -hmm. no no yeah. and is it based on time do people schedule a certain amount of mm -hmm. time with you mm -hmm. how long would be an, a typical session an hour okay mm -hmm. nice and what has this work taught you about sex hmm just to be non-judgmental to be open it's taught me to be kind to people and you know sometimes people walk through the door and I'm like good lord some you know someone could be seven feet tall with googly eyes and be like oh, oh like maybe they look weird but at the end of the hour I will almost I will have had this great experience with this person and I feel very close to them and we leave and he hugs me and I hug him and it's just been a great time so I've, I've learned to look past people's um exterior and I actually like playing with um you know older pudgy people that's that's fine I I love to make people feel good and sexy mm. regardless of what they may look like I imagine those takeaways must go into the rest of your life do you feel like it's made you more accepting as a whole sure yeah. Mm -hmm. And has it affected uh, the people in your life and your relationships? Do you feel like you then attract people who are very non-judgmental? Do you try to keep your circle small of the people that you can talk to about this life? Yeah. So the people who are very close in my life, uh, they all know what I do. Uh, I don't tend to tell newcomers for a while, even people that I've that What I've do you known. say instead? Um, well, I'm an artist also. So I'm a painter. So I that's my main gig and I only discuss this other stuff um, with people that I really know yeah so the people like my childhood friends they know what about your family uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's all right yeah that's so interesting and uh, what do you feel that people can learn the most from the kind of work that you do from an experience what's the takeaway if they were to have a session just that sex should be fun and it's possible for life to be exciting that people who are sexually happy tend to be happier overall and I think um, yeah when you don't have that burden of living these unexplored fantasies um, you know life becomes interesting again it's like not such a slog and it is fun to go out and explore and try new things it adds you know a little pep to your step and a sparkle in your eye if you give yourself permission to try this stuff in a safe setting where someone makes you feel good about yourself um you can have just a fantastic time and these are things these are takeaways that you can take back to your relationship and try at home I love that because mm -hmm. I don't think people think of that like having a session with a dominatrix to strengthen your relationship at mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. There's kind of an idea that it would be either or, that either it's quote unquote a cheating experience or it would be uh, when you're single. But in fact, you can, you could even do it with a couple or, I mean, do you meet with couples as well? Uh, me, not so much, but I know many do. Yeah. And 
you know, there are people who keep this their secret sides and they probably do consider it cheating. Many people feel like they can't tell their spouses what's going on. Um which is sad, but that's their business, right? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. And it's so misunderstood as well. So it's I could see it being very complicated if you know, if you see it in one way and and somebody else sees it in a completely different light, you know, because right. of the stereotypes. If you're gonna be labeled as a pervert or weirdo then people don't want to take that chance Mm -hmm. and so they're not going to bring it up yeah and it'll be their secret but you know what secrets sometimes are okay i i have a lot of people's secrets inside me i've had people share a lot with you do they share with you emotionally as well sure yeah yeah so there's a lot of trust in that relationship Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love what you said about giving yourself permission to fantasize. Mm -hmm. I read this study. um, I've read multiple, but one comes to mind where they talk about how often um, boys and men think about sex versus girls and women. And there's this myth that, you know, girls don't think about it very much. And that I remember learning that boys think about sex once every seven seconds. So Mm -hmm. I was sitting in class and I I think, at least I remember it this way, I believe it was in a class about sex that this was taught to me. But again, this is so long ago, it might be my imagination, but I do remember hearing that myth. So I would think, I I would go one, two, three, four, five, six, someone's thinking about sex. (laughs) And it, it was so strange to me that, you know, I thought, well, why would the why would the guys be thinking about more than us? And there I am obsessing over who's thinking about it. Um, but but were you thinking about sex? Oh yeah, I was thinking about sex all the time. Like even out at dinner the other night, there was this cute waiter, and I fucked him in my mind. <laughs> and then, like I'd come over and look at him, and I would in- just enjoy him bringing Walk the over plates and over. Yeah, him. no, it was great. I I enjoyed. Yeah. And I'm like that, but I'm highly sex person. And you also embrace it so fully. And I think that one thing that stands in the way for people, more so with women who are raised to be as your, you know, the the Victorian good girl kind of thing, there's this idea that that makes us somehow unclean or sinful or bad. And I think if we let ourselves experience our fantasies, that we would have so much more pleasure in our lives and, and feel more comfortable with ourselves. Again, I think in life, whatever circumstance you may be going through, it's helpful to ask, who's the audience? Who cares? Why are, Why do you care about someone's opinion of you? Mm. And I had to get comfortable with that question myself in order to do this work, because uh, some people found out and they didn't there was a blowback from it, right? Sure. But um, you have to decide who you are and what you want out of life and how you want to live your life. Do you want to be behave properly? Then maybe that's, you know, this isn't for you. Um, but who wants to be normal? Right. Not me. Yeah, and living up to someone else's standards. Who what cares? is the point? Yeah. yeah. So who's the audience? That's a great message. Why does it matter? Yeah, yeah. Who inspires you as a person? Hmm. I think anyone who takes chances, well, I I very, um, I admire like journalists in Mexico, for instance, people who do something regardless of great danger. Those are people like that provide good examples of what do you stand for? What do you believe in? And uh, people like Malala. Mm, She's amazing. I just, I almost cry just every time I see her. She's just, she's human courage. Mm Mm-hmm. Just so pure. And we need her voice. 
so much. It's it's incredible. Yeah. And how do you practice self-care? I know it's it's a lot to take care of other people. And in mm-hmm. your work, you do a lot of that. Yeah, if I go on the road and I do a ton of work, then I can be like, uh, don't touch me, don't touch me. Um, and so I need a little time to decompress and come back from playing 12 hours a day to um, just feeling normal again. So at first, I'll just need my space, cuddle up with my dog, and then I'm then I'm good again. What kind of dog yeah. do you have? I have a little tiny rescue named Joey. He's oh. a mini pincer. I love dogs. Yeah, he's great. They're great, like therapy and everything they're everything that's amazing that's amazing and what are your biggest goals moving forward Mm, with doming i think i've it's not like you've reached this level and now you go to this level i think i've established myself um pretty much as far as i can i'm not really interested in lecturing or going on tours to educate i'm really more of a one-on-one person um I really prefer that intimate experience of meeting people. So I think I've, I'm just chugging along. I've got my website, goddesssevera.com. And, um, and it's a membership based, right? It's people a membership can, based. Tell us how that works. Um, they pay like, uh, I think it's twenty four ninety five uh, a month for a recurring membership. We're in, and I've had my website since 2000. So for 17 years, I've updated it weekly. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's sort of my baby. It's my, um, it shows my kink life. It yeah. shows me as like a young baby dom, then getting older and um, different lovers I've had throughout time and different breakups. And I'm like, oh, at least I got them on my website. So do you share, I mean, stories, pictures, both? Okay, so it's um, pictures, picture galleries, and they're split up into foot and leg, uh, height. Uh, with slaves, lap sitting, um, etc., and then I have videos as well. Mm, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, so I have that platform, and then I have a clips for sale store, and then I I just meet people and and um, play with them. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. You mentioned showing photos that track your journey and show you, you know, as you age. How do you feel about the aging process as somebody who has a very aesthetic? job. Yeah, I was talking about this the other day. I think with the great thing with the internet is that no matter what you look like, whoever you are, someone will love you. If you want a 20-year-old dom, I'm I'm not that. But if you want someone who knows what she's doing and has a good record, um, then come to me. Uh, So over time, as I grow older, I'm going to just develop a different clientele Mm. or the same people who've known me for a long time. So I'm not stressed out about it. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Do you know Sandra Lamargese? She's a Mm -hmm. dominatrix in uh, New York City, and she didn't pursue the work until 55. Mm -hmm. And she's talked about how she was concerned that going into the industry, that she wouldn't be considered desirable. Mm -hmm. And it instead showed her how desirable she is. There's a niche for everybody. You can be a big, fat girl, and people will think you're great. It's like very empowering. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I also have heard and read that in Europe, the doms aren't even allowed to really do the work until they are mature. Mm-hmm. And that sexy is much more correlated with middle-aged and older women. Because you have to live a life before you can know what you're doing. Yeah. And I realized looking back that um, as a baby dom, I, it took me a long time to learn my craft. And I, over the last few years, I feel like, ah, oh, I finally am really understanding it. I'm really like 
feeling it more. And are your orgasms stronger? I've read that over time, women who embrace their bodies and sexuality tend to experience more pleasure. Mm. Yeah. Sex is getting better and better. Yay. Yeah. I love that. It's love great. That. And again, that's another um, myth is that it doesn't. You know, we've. I think a lot of people hear that women peak sexually in their 30s when, in fact, it's usually more of like a, you know, continual improvement in many ways. I mean, it's different. It's always different. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but as you... As one grows older, you feel more comfortable with yourself and men tend to, or whoever your partner is, tends to know what they're doing more if they're a little bit older. And so when you have two experienced people playing, then it's like you don't feel shy. You can really give in. Yeah. I think there's a lot of shyness when you're young. Oh, yeah. And inability to talk about what you want or what you like. Yeah, absolutely. What's your own personal? Do you have a favorite... Um, fantasy, fetish, sexual activity. I really like role play the best. Yeah. Role play. Specific roles or is it kind of the variety? Mm, I like abuse of power scenarios. Mm, what would be an example? Um, well, just turning the tables on someone who's um, been very cruel to me. Ooh, yeah. Getting yeah. my revenge. Yeah. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. Awesome. Remind us again where everybody can learn more about you and sign up for your subscription. Thank you. It's goddesssevera.com, and that's spelled goddess, G-O-D-D-E-S-S, Severa, S-E-V-E-R-A.com. Beautiful. Any last words you want to share for anybody who is just wanting more pleasure and sexy play in their lives, who's listening and just wants to up it a notch? Yeah, don't be shy. Take a chance. It's Life is short. you got to live. I love it. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. And y'all, I have to tell you about this amazing company that I'm working with this month. We are actually going to be featuring them in our episode on feminist porn in two weeks. Belesa.co, B-E-L-L-E-S-A.co is a brand new and free porn site for women. It finally presents a platform on which female pleasure is Front and center, it's committed to depicting women as they truly are, as subjects of their own desires, not objects of conquest. And on the site, you can find some of the best video content on the web. It's very, very spicy. Uh, Original erotic stories. SFW articles, so you can actually read them around other people, and talk about sex, relationships, women's health, and so on. Balesa is making major waves in the industry. They just launched in February of this year and is already the number one ranking adult entertainment website for women in terms of traffic. That's huge, and it really speaks to a need, right? And and something that is really in demand and worth celebrating, in my opinion. If you haven't checked it out already, I couldn't recommend it more www.melissa.co Stay tuned for that interview in a couple of weeks and if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes and leave us a simple review while you're there You can also find a whole bunch of extras on my website augustmclaughlin.com Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week 